1: strong knowing that this path i'm on brings me to myself
2: i'm driving hey y'all i'm jules welcome back to another episode of spirit sherpa the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo with me as always is the spirit doctor kelly sparta hey kelly what's up hey jules guess who's here our voices are going higher. That can only mean one thing. Drum roll. Kathy is here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kathy is here.
0: <laughs> Kathy loves to play with her little uh, the little tags here. You guys can't see this, but she, she comes in and, and in her parentheses changes it. And today it's it and spit. <laughs> you are it and spit. Okay. Yes, that's so my
3: pronouns for today. Okay. <laughs>
0: Right. So yeah. So we're, we're having fun with pronouns today. So, uh, so Kathy, you are coming in today to talk. uh, We've, we've talked about family constellations and we've talked about structural constellations. And now we're talking about organizational constellations, right? Okay. So in case people did not hear the other two episodes, give us an overview of what is constellation work.
3: Um constellation work basically is based on experiential evidence that um, things in relationship to one another form an energetic field, a morphic field, and that there is a, a, a universal um, energetic that flow wishes to continue unimpeded. So, you know, life wants to go on well for things and people and whatever. And that, but what happens is that flow gets entangled by various situational. Processes and it can happen in a family because there's a morphic field for you. That's actually along the DNA line. So there's your morphic field for family work. Um, In structural work, that's things in or objects um, or concepts in relationship to one another. Again, a morphic field. Um, That one doesn't so much use flow to resolve, you use a structural constellation to gain insight into what the issues are, because usually the issues are more complicated than um, can be resolved like in the family lines. And in organizational work, um, again, you have hierarchies because you have the founders of the company and the people that come after that and different levels of contribution, but it doesn't have the DNA of a family field. But an organization definitely has An energetic field, a morphic field that's defined by culture and participation and belonging, all those things, which we can talk about, we will talk about in more detail. But all three of those fall under an umbrella that's called systemic constellation, because the understanding is we're looking at systems, We're looking at energetic systems from the standpoint of what's working and what isn't working in that system and using the morphic field, the representations in that energetic field to get insight and understanding of some of the dynamics in order to resolve, to move forward and and resolve things that stand in the way of um, powerful, positive, life-affirming flow.
0: We've talked... So if you guys want to know more about family and systemic, then we have an episode on each one of those. And so you can go back into the episodes and look those up. But today, we're going to talk about organizational constellation work. And I'm excited because I've really only worked with you in the family and the structural constellation um, models and so I'm excited to hear about this because I actually don't know about much about this. So uh, tell us, tell us the foundation of this and how it works and who you use it with and what's it for and so
3: on. Well, well that we could be here for the next three days to cover all that. Um, so we'll we'll go succinctly. Okay, um, in organizational work, you can look at so many different levels. I did organizational constellations of a company within a marketplace. Okay. So how does this company that does this one thing has these competitors? Okay. And how are they positioned in the marketplace? Because that's another field, right? Is the marketplace for people that buy a particular good or service? So you can use an organizational constellation, um, and in this one, this particular company was struggling in the marketplace, and they wanted to see, was it their positioning, was it their pricing, what was going on, where where should they focus their attention? And so that's what we were working with in that field. Um, Again, like structural constellations, which are pretty much any morphic field around things that are in relationship to one another, um, you can look at uh, organizational constellation work from multiple different layers within an organization. You can look at it at a department level. Um, you can look at it. Uh, I did one, I did an organizational constellation about a collective bargaining problem in a school system where the, the school administrator was having difficulty with the collective bargaining process and wasn't figuring out what needed to happen to move things forward for the benefit of both the people who work there in the collective bargaining part of it, as well as for the school and the people that the school served. Um, so, the it, again, from an organizational standpoint, I've seen it used and have used it as a consultant, Okay, Where you've got a particular organizational issue that somebody wants additional information about and they're like, okay, we just really don't understand what's happening here. And the consultant will come in and set up um, an organizational constellation around the key players that are involved in the issue to get some – a look at the dynamics. Who isn't – what isn't working for whom kind of thing. This is an interesting one. It's it's part of the – the structure of organizational constellations. But one of the um, precepts is that you have to, um, there is a hierarchy, whereas in families, there's a lineage, right? The DNA lineage. In organizations, there's a hierarchy. And um, that hierarchy is a little bit complex because uh, let's say you've got a founding, you know, like a lot of startups, right? They have a founding person. And then that that founding person um may sell off the company to somebody else, okay? Or they may um, stay with the company but not do so well because, you know, they, they're good at startups, but they're not less necessarily good at growing big companies. Um, if the organization does not honor the founder, and I'm not saying make him right all the time, I'm saying understanding that this organization would not exist if it weren't for this founder, Okay, so whether we agree with everything he did or not, he created this and we need to honor that. Okay, so that's one way in which organizations can start to uh, not exactly collapse, but not do so well in the flow of organizational process and growth is by not honoring the founder of the um, of the organization. That's very
0: interesting when you think about it from the Apple computers perspective, when Steve Jobs was ousted, and then they had to bring him back to recover.
2: That's exactly right? where my brain went. I was like, "Wait a minute, yeah. yeah."
3: Well, there's the reason this stuff is around and has been around for a while is because it works. You know, it makes sense and it works. Um, another one, and I, and this is the one that was in the school system that was the issue, is that um, the school administrator had been hired within the past couple of years. And there was a, a woman an, a support staff person who'd been there who was like the institutional memory. You know, she'd been there for like 30 years. OK. And he wasn't she was part of the whole collective bargaining thing and he wasn't respecting her. You know, she was just a, you know, like a secretary, a support person kind of thing. He wasn't being openly disrespectful, but he was the school administrator and she was support staff and he wasn't honoring her institutional memory. The 30 years of history and experience that she had with this organization is is that's what emerged out of the, the constellation for this was the linchpin for getting this collective bargaining thing to work right. And so in the constellation it became clear that he needed to respect her institutional history. He may have a higher position, but he's only been there for a couple years. She's been part of it for longer. So there's also a hierarchy of um of belonging and time, and there's a hierarchy of contribution, okay? So uh who is contributing the most to the success of the organization, so organizational constellations can get kind of you know complex because here you've got the the founder guy right, and then you've got the people in that in in time that have been you know there for a long time and contributing for many many years, and then you have like a you know somebody who's a, a um, one of those sales guys that you know really brings in the dollars kind of thing.
0: As I'm feeling into what you're saying, it sounds like organizational constellation work is about identifying, uh, the, the foundation of the energetics that are making up the organization itself and, 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 and bringing together the people whose energies have contributed to that into a complex web of understanding and, and respect, that then allows to move forward because uh, you know everything you're talking about is well the founder uh, having been a founder of companies many times in my life I birthed those companies from my own energy and that that is you know I am the progenitor of the business right and so to you know to disregard a founder. Is to disregard the original energy from which the corporation or company was or organization was built, and um, you know when you talk about institutional memory and all of this, that's somebody who's contributed their energy for a long period of time and has not only contributed but they've taken in everybody else's energy and co- connected it to one to another, and they understand all the details of every person who's ever con- been part of the system. Right, and so they 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 serve as sort of the linchpin, center point of of all of these swirling energies of people who are there and people who aren't anymore. And then you know the you know who's contributing is who's putting energy in now, right? Who's whose energy is fueling and sustaining the the organization right now? So it it feels like an energetic tapestry, if you will. Is is
3: that accurate? It's, it's, it's definitely a tapestry because a lot of the threads are interwoven. I mean, how many times, you know, the old seagull management thing, right? The new guy flies in, shits on everybody and flies away, right? Seagull management. And the, in organizational work, when the new guy flies in, if he wants to be successful, okay, and if the organization wants success out of this relationship, the first thing he has to do, even if he's in a position, he or she is in a position of power, okay, they need to honor what's gone before them, to understand it, to respect the people who are in place, to say, hey, you know this place better than I know this place. And I may be able to bring something that benefits it, but I am also benefited by your experience and background. How many Seagull managers do you know that fly into any organization and do that? Very few. Okay. And usually they're written up in Harvard review journals, because they've had such an amazing success in what they've managed to bring to the organization. And it's in part because whether they understand organizational constellations or not, probably not, it's a relatively new concept for this country or for the United States, but um, the, it's, it, they inherently understand that I can't just come in here and and ride roughshod over everybody and say, okay, everybody do it my way or you're out of here kind of thing. Because essentially you're killing that energetic that you've been so beautifully describing that is built, which is then um, there's also a company culture, okay? You know, we talk about a morphic field and there's a, this is the way we do things here and anybody who has ever come in and attempted to facilitate organizational change knows that you're up against the this is the way we do things here okay and that you can't just start to you know say okay we're going to do it differently now we're going to do it differently now we're going to do it differently now because you have to begin with those individuals the people in the company who create the culture and to shift the culture the people have to buy in so there's a there's this whole, the right to belong. And if you are in a company where you do not feel like this is your culture, um, then, you know, find some, find some place that is because you aren't going to shift it. You're just going to make your life miserable.
0: Yeah. I can speak to that from personal experience. I, I can speak about it from a couple of different directions. One was when I was just a baby. I had just gotten married and I moved to Hawaii and I was working at the international marketplace in Waikiki. And, and, uh, I came in with my, you know, spit and vinegar, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and, you know, the, I'll get more done in a day than most people get done in a week in a culture of, Oh, you know, tomorrow is good. Tomorrow is good. You know, it was all, you know, chill and laid back. And I was not, (laughs) And, and I walked in, I was like, this filing system is inefficient. And, you know, I'm going to redo and everybody hated me. Everybody hated me. And I was just like, okay, you know, but that's because I was culturally out of place and, and would have been culturally out of place, honestly, anywhere on the island. Because I was in... You know, I was in do it mode. I was in East Coast do it mode in the middle of Powhana culture. You know, it's like maybe not so much, right? So, um, and then you know, there's there's other places where you know, when I was teaching real estate agents, I would talk to them about making sure that that the culture that you're walking into because you're constantly getting recruited when you're a real estate agent. Every company wants you if you do any business at all. And I'm like, look, go sit in the office. And just sit there and listen, because if the all you hear is bitching and my, moaning and complaining, then that's going to be your life in that office, and you don't want to be in that office. I don't care how much money they promise you. I don't care how good the deal is. If your energy is not in alignment with the energy that you hear around you, do not go there. And so, you know, that's again, it's a company culture concept, right? Yeah, and this is something that we don't think about when we're building our own business, right? We've been talking this year about becoming a light worker and building your business and getting things going. And one of the things we don't think about is the company culture concept and how do you build it. So, from an organizational constellation perspective, what elements would you recommend that somebody who is building a company, uh, you know, how how would they energetically look at that and how they would create it.
3: Well, first of all, you're not going to build a culture you're not comfortable with. I mean, you know, that just isn't going to happen. Okay. The second one is, is if you're a wise company builder, a wise organizational builder, you will recognize your strengths and the points where you don't have strengths, your weaknesses. And so you will bring in people that will fit the culture, but will also blend in terms of, you know, picking up where you aren't strong so that there is that that piece there. There will also be since, uh, you know, if you're talking about the company founder, um, if you want it to be successful, you want the people that you're bringing in to be good to work with. You don't want them to try and unseat you and say, well, I'm here to take your job. Okay, because that's also going to be a a toxic culture and it's going to be detrimental to the success of the organization overall, simply because of the lack of respect for the hierarchy. Now, I want to reiterate that I'm not saying that the way things have always been done is the right way to do it. Okay, the world changes very, very quickly and there's a lot of things going on in the marketplace and um, there it calls for companies to be, as they talk about it now, nimble. Okay. But if collectively the people in an organization are bought into the organization and the purpose that it serves, which is why purpose and meaning have become very important in organizational culture and in recruiting, a lot of younger people are looking for where can I go and how, who can I work with that's going to have meaning, that makes a difference in the world, that that I can feel like not only am I valued here, but my work makes a difference, okay and so there's a there's a sense of we know who we are but we have to have an underlying purpose that is deep enough that it's allowed to be flexible to take into consideration new things coming and that all defines part of who we are right as which is how an organization works so if you're talking to somebody in a big organization and you say well who are you you know, as a, as an employee of XYZ, what do you stand for? If they can't answer you, then that's a company that's th- th- succeeding on momentum. Because once physics gets up and running, there's momentum behind a company and momentum. The bigger the company, the more the momentum, momentum will carry a company for a long time, but it will not carry it forever. Eventually, physics, like any other object in motion, wears it down. And um, a number of years ago when I was studying for the first time organizational constellation, I was looking at Fortune 500. And there was over, I think it was a 20 or 30, maybe 30-year period of the original Fortune 500, less than 30% remained. So those, those big, big companies were gone. They were merged. They were bought out. They went under, you know, whatever happened to them. But just because you're a Fortune 500 company does not mean that you're going to exist in perpetuity, not if you are only carried forward by momentum, if you don't have that culture, if you don't have that meaning, if you don't have that purpose, if you aren't nimble in the marketplace, if you aren't respecting of the hierarchies, I'm um, all this stuff is relative to this. And um, one of the the final uh, and the, uh, one other precept I want to bring in on organizational constellations is the balance of giving and taking is that anybody that shows up and says, I'm just here for the paycheck is not part of the organization. There isn't a balance of giving and taking. You get your paycheck, you need to contribute. Okay. This is an energetic dynamic an organization is. And so there needs to be a balance. Now, if you're giving, 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 and your paycheck is crap, that's the other way around, right? You know, now the organization is out of balance with you. Okay. And that's a reason for, you know, probably some of the great resignation we're seeing right now um, is that is this out of balance situation between giving and taking in an organizational environment. It has to feel in balance. It isn't always about money. Okay. It's also about respect. It's also about appreciation. It's also about ability to contribute. Um, it's about being seen. It's about um, being acknowledged. All those things are wrapped into this. It's, um, it's why, again, organizational work is multi-layered, very complex. You work to define a very specific area when you're doing an organizational constellation that you want to look at. Like the one I looked at, uh, uh, bargaining okay the, the collective bargaining situation or in the um, in the situation in a marketplace how are we positioned in the market where you're looking at all these other companies that are being represent represented in that way but you're it's a narrow focus and then you work to insight not solution because organizations are so complex okay that Basically, you've got your your leaders there, sometimes more than leaders, and they look at what's going on and they get the feedback and they see some of the rest of it and they're going, oh, now we see which direction we need to go in, in order to unblock this and move it forward. So in that sense, organizational constellations are a little more like structural constellations, but the layering of the the hierarchies and the belonging and the giving and the taking and the um, time and contribution and all that is much more complex. So how
0: long does an organizational constellation take compared to, say, a structural or a family?
3: Um, I, ha- I think the shortest one I've ever been in was solidly an hour plus. And the longest one I was ever in was about two and a half hours. In part, it depends upon the, how well the issue is defined to begin with. Okay. And then in part, it depends on, um, are you wearing out your representatives? You know, people can stand in the field for only so long and then they're tired. They sit, they lose energy, whatever kind of thing. So, um, if it's actually, uh, the charge of the facilitator to get the issue to a manageable size, because if it's too big, there aren't going to be any real insights come out of it because there's too many moving parts for anything to get really clear. Okay. And I I will bring on one other one is that um, when I mentioned the departmental one, I've seen, I've facilitated and seen more than one other facilitators do ones in the relationship of boss and subordinates. Now, this is not parental. Okay. This is not family work. This is the boss and the subordinates where there is a dynamic that is not working. Okay. And there's things that can be done in an organizational constellation in that very, very defined area to say, okay, you know, to get some insight, either from the boss, which is, you know, the boss wants it because he wants to under, he or she, again, wants to understand how this works, or from a subordinate standpoint of, you know, this person drives me crazy. Okay. And I, uh, Kelly, you've seen a couple of those. You saw one where this person drives me crazy. And the the reality that came out of it was the boss had so many burdens and was so distracted by so much of what was going on that the subordinate thought that they were actively being ignored. And what they got out of the constellation was an understanding that this individual has a whole lot more on their plate that I had no idea about. And this is not about me being actively ignored. And if I take a little bit more proactive approach to this, it's probably going to be appreciated because this person is already overburdened. You know, and and that's something really simple and really easy that can help in the dynamic of a workplace setting that is not family and it's not structural. It's organizational.
2: What do those meetings look like? I mean, can you kind of give a little example of is it a back and forth conversation, Uh, dialogue going on? Is it, you know, you're tapping into the to the energy of the organization and also the people and how they function in the organization? When a client, you know, somebody comes for a constellation, um, shows
3: up, they bring with them the energetic field of their issue, right? And whether it's structural or family or organizational. Okay. And the way, um, a lot of this is done is then in a group, you have a bunch of people in a group who have no relationship to one another. They just all showed up to do the group or in an organizational setting, it could be that there are, um, so lots of times in organizational constellations, you'll have some people who are big weeks who actually work for the company, and then you'll have a whole bunch of people who are brought in to do nothing other, who are paid to be professional representatives, who know nothing about what the issues are, okay? And then what happens is that the facilitator defines the question, like in the marketplace one, okay? We had like, I think, four or five company executives sitting there, and we had all these people that were training that knew nothing about what the issues were. And so the the we suss out the example, we put representatives into the field of the issue, the representatives tap into the energy and report out what's going on with them, whether they're interested in the, co- you know, the representative of the company, the person standing there is representing the company It's kind of like, No, I, you know, I'm, I'm not interested. You know, I don't know. I don't care what they have to offer. I'm not interested. You know, the stuff like that comes up. Right. And so to define it when you say put them into the field. So
0: basically what happens is you create a circle and each person is asked to represent a different aspect. And they either agree or say no, depending on how they feel about it. And then they come into the center of the circle. And, and then they feel into where they should be in the space. And they identify that. And then, then it's about each person representing each piece and how they feel about each other and how they report out. And the energy in the space... Defines that for you when you're a representative and you stand in that space, you are very clear how you're feeling because the energetic is in the circle and you're just because you're standing in the energetic, you are in the midst of that tapestry of energy and you can feel it and you'll just report out what you notice. I notice that my feet are numb. I notice that I don't like this person next to me. I notice that I don't want to be near this person when they come near me and it's relating not that person but the issue that that person is representing or that whatever that person is representing,
3: right? Let me give you a really beautiful example to to kind of put this to it is that we were doing in training we were doing an organizational constellation and we didn't know any of the details. Okay, the people who came in, we were we were the representatives. We were the the pool of people who could be picked for representatives, and we just knew that there were two different companies who wanted to merge, and they were the merger was going badly. It was you know people were upset, and there was a lot of us and them, and you know they weren't merging well. Okay, that's all we knew. Okay, so we the facilitator wasn't me, um, put us out in the field and, and we were, you know, doing our thing and reporting out and all, we had no idea. Okay. And one woman said, um, and, and she's, she sits down and there's, when you sit down on the floor, it means something. And they said, why are you sitting down? And she goes, she goes, I don't know how to explain this. She goes, other than to say what I feel And she goes, I am a huge ball of fire with bodies in it. That's what came out of the field for her. I am a huge ball of fire with bodies in it. To me, that's not a good image. I'm not saying it is a good image, but it was the key to the solution of the merger. Because the minute she said that, you could see the representatives from the two different groups go, we've got it. Okay. And we took a break and the representatives agreed to come back and explain who they were. And why that was important, because otherwise we were sitting here like, oh, what do we know? That was just weird. Um, they were, this was, we were in a different country. And of the, there were two different types of military, call them the Army and the Navy. You know, I, I don't remember, but, you know, call them the Army and the Navy. And the Army and the Navy each had a bomb squad. And in order to, it wasn't a huge country, in order to facilitate um, the use of the resources, they were merging the bomb squads of the Army and the Navy. Well, think about that from our standpoint. You know, the Army and the Navy got to work together. (sighs) Okay. And they built them a big new building and everybody hated it and all the rest of that. What they realized was that the thing that pulled them all together was they gave their lives to defuse bombs, to save people. And that fireball with the bodies in it was their brethren, you know, their brothers and their sisters who had given their lives in service to this, to to being bomb squad people, and that they they put out in front of the building uh, an honor uh, a statue, an honor I uh, I don't know if it wasn't a statue, but it was some kind of memorial to all the people out of both groups who had given their lives in the service of their country and this bomb squad of of being these guys, these men and women who rush in to defuse bombs. That and was their unity. That was their unity. It brought them all together, and it solved the entire problem. Wow. That's yeah. wow, that's powerful. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay? And it was a woman sitting on the floor going, I'm a ball of fire with bodies in it. As a, as a facilitator, you can't judge. You can't say, oh, that's bad or art. Uh, as the only thing the facilitator did said, "Are you okay with that energy, or is it overwhelming you? And if it's overwhelming you, hold on to it, but dial it down a little bit so it, you don't feel burnt out or, or you know, for carrying something that heavy."
2: Now, do they? And you were saying that, of course, I can only imagine how complex this can get. Is it that much harder when it's a family business? Because I was thinking you would have the lineage coming in with the. There, organizational is a, one. there is
3: a special subset of constellators who work with family businesses because you've got, you have all the organizational dynamics and you have all the family dynamics and they all impact on the business. So a family business can be, it, it's why a lot of family businesses may sell out because we're like, we got to get out from underneath this. This is making us all crazy. So yeah, family businesses are a particularly tough case. Well, this
0: is fascinating, Kathy. And uh, I, I know there's people out there right now going, oh, my company so needs this, right? <laughs> so if they're in a position to hire somebody, which they may or may not be, but if they're in a position to find someone, you know, who needs it, who can facilitate this,
3: I'm assuming you can do this. I can do organizational constellations. There are some other organizational constellators in the United States, depending on, you know, where they are and what they're looking for. Um, There's actually more organizational constellators in Europe right now. So if you've got listeners in Europe, you know, they're probably pretty much more familiar with this kind of work than the United States. Um, But uh, it was family constellations came first. Okay, that was Bert Hallinger's work. And then um, Gunthard Weber was one of the people that, that took from Bert's work and worked it into, and he, his specialty was family companies. So that's where it kind of moved first was that hybrid of family and organizations. And then it was um, uh, Jan Jakob Stamm out of the Netherlands, who then moved it completely into an organizational setting and pulled the the family dynamics out as something to be, you know, to look at organizations that were more purely organizations and not family based. Um, And there's, there's been a number of people over the years um, that have worked with this and that I've trained with, but those were kind of like the founding fathers.
0: Okay. So if they wanted to reach you, to ask you to do an organizational constellation for them or a family or a structural, how would they reach you? Kathy at Kellysparta.com. Okay. So if you guys are out there and going, wow, this stuff sounds so cool. I have to have one. Then, uh, you know, reach out to Kathy at Kathy at Kellysparta.com And we, you know, she'll get you set up with a, a time and a day to do your, your, whatever constellation you want. And, uh, You know, this is one of those things that we have quietly built into our retreats over the years as well. Uh, Not the organizational constellation work, but the structural and occasionally the family. And so, you know, this is why I was excited to hear about this one today because we haven't built this one in yet. So (laughs) I'm jumping at the bit. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, this is, this is amazing work and it's, it's, it's stuff that the U.S. doesn't see a lot of. And that Europe is really into. And so I, it's one of those things that, that uh, Kathy started talking to me about this stuff. I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago,
3: something like that. Uh, it's really sadly to say more like almost 20. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. We're old. But yes. uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> But yes, this stuff has been around for a long time. It's just that most people in the U.S. don't know it. They don't understand it. They don't have a point of reference for it. Hopefully, over the course of these three episodes, y'all have gotten an idea of how this works now and what it's about. It is very powerful and very transformative. So, if And very much needed in the U.S. Uh, desperately needed in the U.S., yes. So... Um, if you are, are in a position to make that kind of change in yourself, in your family, or in your organization, then this would be a great avenue to look at.
3: I do want to point out that organizational work is is more like a consulting gig because the facilitator has to come in and interview people and figure out what's going on. I mean, it's, it's not as simple as a family dynamic in that sense. So um, it's a uh, it, it's a somewhat bigger task, so I, I just want to give people a realistic expectation. It's not like you're going to email me and say, "Do me tomorrow," um, you know, <laughs> you know, do me. Yeah, uh, no, it's 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 going to be a little bit more involved in that. So,
2: do we have a Kellyism or a Kathyism for today? Oh, Kathy, do you want to take it?
3: Um, I think what I'd like to say is that. Um, Morphic fields and systems—the uh, underlying energy wants to flow toward life-affirming energy. It wants to be unentangled. It wants to be positive, um, as much as you know. You could say it wants to do anything. It's just like a river wants to flow. If you're caught up in something that where there where there's a stuck point. All right. And it feels like it's part of this flow that isn't working. Um, just understand that the source wants it to flow. And so getting it unentangled isn't huge, right? It isn't like, Oh my God, you know, it's going to take forever. It's like there's a, there's a move toward unentangling. And the reason things stay entangled is because we hook ourselves into the status quo and find some sort of validation in well this is what it was like for me or or i deserve this or i didn't deserve this or they never should have done that or whatever when we hook ourselves into the status quo we hook ourselves into retaining the entanglement and when you can do that when you can let go of that you can get into flow
2: let go into flow there you go and we're gonna flow on out for this week (laughs) 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 that's all that we have for this week folks Tune in next time when Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. Another I'm Jules, here with so Kelly Sparta and, and Kathy Shireen, and, season and season you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye.
1: Bye. <laughs> Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon Within my car, I'm all alone But feeling good strong, knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself. I'm driving, wondering where my spirit will. I'm driving.
0: Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since